it's a sacrifice, but if you believe in something, you, you're either doing it or not doing it, and you can't half-ass something that's your own creation that you're trying to build. Um, so, I mean, if you're going to do it, you got to do it all the way and keep doing it for years and years and years and try to be savvy about getting yourself ahead. Creating art and a well-balanced family life at the same time can often be a struggle. That's why I'm devoted to capturing the stories of different types of artists who are parents and learn how they balance their work and the demands of parenting. If nothing else, by hearing the soundtrack of one another's lives, we know we're in this together. In this episode, we sit down with Eric and Eliza Obanoff, owners of the indie book publisher $2 Radio, based out of Columbus, Ohio. I visited them in their brand new headquarters on Parsons Avenue. We ate delicious house-made vegan fare, talked about Sarah Silverman, burgeoning Columbus, Hanif Abderakib, and of course, parenting. For listeners who don't know anything about $2 Radio, how was $2 Radio born? (laughs) $2 Radio started as a book publishing company. At the time, Eliza and I were both just out of college and fairly like, uh, I don't know, like working in the service industry, disillusioned with prospects in general. Um, I was freelancing for like a kid's show called Yu-Gi-Oh! GX, but as a reader, I felt like a lot of the books that I enjoyed the most, there just weren't that many of them. And so I found myself going to bookstores and looking for books not trying to find particular authors or um, authors or titles of books, like a book in particular, but instead like looking by publisher. Um, So the presses that I were drawn to were like a lot of the independent publishers that were, uh, that came about, I think, as a result of uh, the corporatization of uh, publishing as corporations um, acquired it, it, it's all cyclical I think like in the post World War II era there were a lot of like family run presses and then you know over the course of the next like half century they were all acquired by um, big corporations and then uh, which created a really fertile landscape for small publishers to publish into a niche and create a name for themselves and uh, this is a long boring answer <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell you, there's a really funny story about the name. <laughs> the right? name, yeah. Uh, the name, I was bartending in San Diego, and this guy was wasted. And uh, I was re- trying really hard to ignore him. And he said, don't mind me, I make more noise than a $2 radio. And uh, so it was catchy. We publish books too loud to ignore. We do five or six books a year, mostly fiction. Um, this Last year we came out with our uh, first graphic novel publication. This year we did our first uh, book in translation, a book that won the European Union Prize for Literature by a Slovakian writer um, named Jana Bonova. And then this fall we're out with our first essay collection too, They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us, by a uh, poet, cultural critic um, named Hanif Abdurraqib. Who's a Columbus native, so it's our first local author after like 50 some authors so it's pretty exciting to be staying local with him and he was a columnist at MTV he's written for Pitchfork New York Times a bunch of places and um, what he does a lot of in in the essay collection that we published this month is take something like 
uh, music criticism and brings in sort of like social cultural commentary um, and really like personal reflections and um, you know talking about what it's like to be young and black and Muslim in the United States right now and he has just a really incredible powerful voice and so last fall after the election he was a voice that I just like really connected to like really resonated with me like at that time so I think he has like a powerful voice that is really easy to connect to Mm -hmm. and is endearing in a personal way there is a great buzz brewing for it and for him in general Um, and it's it's special when you see a book really connect with readers in a meaningful way and this is one of those books um, that has that sort of like magical glow to it Um, so it's it's a great feeling when you do that as a publisher when you can uh, make that happen as a publisher can you tell us a little bit about your team? So who is fulfilling the orders and who's in charge of, of what? I mean, we do pretty much everything. Um, we've got a couple of interns who work with us who help help kind of do the initial like comb through of submissions, and they help pack orders and stuff like that as well. But for the most part, we do everything in-house ourselves from acquiring the work, editing it, doing the design, copy Les does copy editing and the design and layout and everything like that yeah it's it's myself Eric and Brett who's working the coffee machine over there and we just figured out who was good at what and then that became their t- their job mm-hmm. <laughs> basically is yeah it down. which is silly when you start a business you know and you're assigning titles like everyone wants to know like who's the managing editor of the whatever and it's like I don't know I guess I am maybe <laughs> today I like I am yeah, today yeah, it'll yeah. be Eliza tomorrow yeah, whatever we call ourselves what, you know it's all like self-applied titles yeah, yeah. great um so, Two Dollar Radio was born in San Diego. What was the impetus to move back to Ohio? We had a baby. <laughs> we actually moved uh, back to New York after San Diego, and um, which was fruitful for having a, a, a young publishing company and with so many publishers being there, a lot of indies. Eric was able to make some really meaningful connections, um, and. And some of our first books were from other publishers passing on manuscripts to us. But we lasted a year and had a baby and couldn't afford New York anymore. So we came back to Ohio and it's ended up being the best place for us to be. Just such a supportive arts, artsy community. And um, yeah, we didn't necessarily move here on purpose, you know, <laughs> but it ended up being perfect. And in, like, the grand scheme of things, I mean, there's there's the personal thing that's really nice about it, like, being close to, like, friends and, you know, the grandparents and stuff like that um, is convenient, makes it convenient. But also, like, in terms of the publishing company, like, there's nothing special about another independent press based in Brooklyn or New York or something like that. Um, but being an independent publisher based in Columbus, Ohio, like, we're kind of the only game in town. Um, so it helped in terms of like creating an identity throughout the industry as a whole too absolutely and I mean Columbus I feel like and I'm sure you feel the same way is sort of burgeoning as far as um, artists go and just as far as being a really cool place to live Mm -hmm. do you feel like that kind of moved you to the next step of of creating the headquarters and how did that kind of come about well I think 
for us, like in terms of publishing, we do it, you know, the work on a laptop. And, you know, it's not like we don't have the physical printing press in our office or anything like that. Um, but, you know, for the most part, we're just doing the work on a laptop. We were doing it in our house in Clintonville for the past, like, six years. But we never had that kind of, like, focal space uh, for people to gather and to also, like, be a part of the community. And so that's how headquarters grew out of that want to not just have a physical office space, but to have a space that ideally like contributes to the literary community of the city that we live in and not just the literary community but the community at large I mean the types of events that we're hosting here aren't just author readings um, and while we do that there's also like we did a magic show on Halloween and there, there's like a monthly magic show there's like comedy shows we do panel discussions um, where the first one was about take a knee and the whole like uh, intersection between first amendment and sports and um, we're also doing uh, storytelling, like oral storytelling, where we're handpicking people from different walks of life with the idea, with the hope that them coming in and telling sort of their, their personal distinctive story um, creates some kind of exposure to someone that you might not interact with on a daily basis. So the first one that we had was a social worker talking about his experience and uh, uh, an immigrant family talking about they immigrated to the U.S. from uh, Lebanon during the Civil War and um, just talking about the harrowing circumstances for their immigration to the U.S. just, to, you know, in hopes that it, uh, you know, provides a face to some of these stories that you hear. Absolutely. So. I think it's fair to say we couldn't have made this move if we were living in some place like New York, where it's just too expensive for people without buckets of money to do anything. So Columbus has been perfect that way, where it's a big enough city, um, and but it, but it's also extremely affordable. And so, yeah, just comparing, like, where we're living, Columbus is really, and the the South Side, just the the city investing in this kind of, and, and they like have grants, you know, to try to foster this kind of business. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's been great. It's beautiful. The space is absolutely Thank you. gorgeous. Thanks. Hopefully, you guys are doing a little pat, yeah, pat, pat yourself on the back and <laughs> relax a little bit. <laughs> it's here. One of the things that's very interesting about Two Dollar Radio and Eric and Eliza Obanoff is three things. One, that you are married to each other. Mm-hmm. Two, that you own a business together. And three, that you have offspring together. <laughs> so how do you do all those three things together 24-7 all the time and still stay so strong well, as a couple and as people? We actually just really like each other. I think that's part of it. You know, you should marry your best friend and that's um, what we did so we we actually genuinely enjoy spending time together so um, I think that Eric said at one point which really summed it up for me that we have so much that we're doing and our time is so stretched thin all the time that we hold each other to a really high standard and um, so I think that's just made everything about our relationship and our company just elevated is that we we expect a lot from each other because it's just us doing it. So if, if one of us falls short, then it, it's like the whole thing is affected. 
So. Yeah, if you're in a more standard work environment and someone's not keeping up their part of the bargain, then you're just gonna like be like, God damn it, you know, like that asshole like isn't doing their part. But you know, if, with it being the two of us, then it's like you're gonna let the other person know if they're not. <laughs> yeah, we're, there's a lot of brutal honesty. <laughs> Sometimes some cuss words, but yeah, that. Especially working in a, I was working in a, a more corporate environment during the day and then working with him at night and we just don't have time for any bull, you know, like mm-hmm. you carry your weight or we are, we're not going to succeed. Yeah. And um, so that's really worked for us. And then we, we kind of just have yin yang personalities where it just works well for what we're doing. There's yeah. also too another a couple friends of ours who run a press called Dorothy and um, and they're married and have a kid in addition to running the press and he always jokes like that if they didn't run the press together they wouldn't have anything to talk about <laughs> gives you a lot to talk about that's for damn sure never dull never dull yeah but I don't think I, I mean at least for myself I I can't imagine um, being so brutally honest with someone like if Eric makes a cover design and I don't like it I'm brutally honest about it and we end up with a better cover in the end um but i the way i talk to him and that level of honesty might come across as rude to someone else but because of our rapport and our relationship and our strong marriage you know we're able to communicate that way and we end up with something better in the end so it works for us it's great yeah, so, I mean, it's almost like in that situation, you have to, A, know each other so well, and B, like, not be defensive. Like, right. know that your opinion is for the greater We're good. We're working towards something. Yeah, it's not just to be mean. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your kiddos? Our daughter, Rio, is 11, going on 12, and our son, Maceo, is 7. They spend a lot of time here in the store, um doing homework while we're trying to finish a task. So it probably hasn't all been as easy as it is now because your children are a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how you have grown the business $2 Radio and raised your children at the same time? Well, most of the time we were ships passing in the night where I would work a day shift and he would, Eric would work a night shift and we would just pass the kids off that way. <laughs> so one of us would be with them and one of us would be working outside um, and then we would just make time for $2 radio like outside of our day slash night jobs um, but the kids have have are very independent they've I think had to be you know so if they need a glass of water they get up and they get it themselves <laughs> essentially <laughs> so um, they are great kids they're really independent and they um, I think understand at this point at least what what we're doing and that um, I think they're starting to appreciate what we've made, been able to make, even though it's meant we aren't 100% always paying attention to them. You know, we're splitting our time. Um, So do you have anything to say? (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of it too is just, I mean, in terms of approaching life with kids while you're trying to juggle a company, it's similar to you know, like exercise, like the big thing is telling yourself that getting in the right mindset where it's like, you don't have a choice. It's like, you just have to exercise. 
And uh, well, some with, people choose not to. Right. Well, I mean, if you want to live a healthy lifestyle, you have to exercise. And I think it's the same with kids. You know, like we didn't necessarily. You know, like we're running the business and we have kids, and you know, you just have to like budget your time wisely. And uh, and like Eliza was saying, they seem in general like willing to go with the flow for the most part. And uh, they're becoming more aware of it. I think, too, I always joke that the books that we publish at $2 Radio are, are, beco- are becoming longer. You know, for a while we were doing, like, 150 to 200-page books. Like, that was kind of the sweet spot. Um, and now we're publishing books that are, like, 400 pages long and stuff like that. So I always joke that my attention span has increased as the kids have gotten older. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is... I mean, pretty true in the sense of, the, of what it's you can bring true. to your work and, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, kind of shifting that focus a little bit easier, saying, oh, okay, they're okay over there by themselves. Mm-hmm. I can sit down and focus and yeah, yeah, yeah. do whatever. Yes. Yeah. And living around family, that was, uh, I think, a clutch decision to come back to Ohio and be closer to supportive family who could help us, um, which they do. And it's, it's allowed us to free up time here and there to be able to grow. So... Do you ever get inspired by them? I mean, do, do does their do your children inspire you in your work? Maybe in sort of like a, a filmic sense, like seeing something beautiful or something like that, or hearing something they say. Um, otherwise, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, oh, sometimes I joke that going to my office is like a vacation. Yeah. You know, I'm like, okay, uh-huh. I can just breathe. Well, it's a, time, it's a time when you don't have to split your brain and multitask to pay attention to their needs and pay attention to whatever task you're working on. And both are equally important. And it's, it is a relief to be in a setting where you don't have to constantly yeah. be dual focused. And vice versa, too. Like, there have been some um, very stressful moments, like, in terms of the publishing company, you know, throughout the course of our career running that. And the kids always bring it back back down to earth. Yes. You know, like, if you're insanely stressed out um, about something and then you're just able to, like, throw a ball with the kids or, like, play in the yard or, like, go to the playground, then uh, I think that that's... uh, you know, an inverted vacation too. Yeah, a reminder that you're, the company is so important, but there's other things that are more important. So, you know, it, it just balances everything. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when you say, so when you say Two Dollar Radio is a family, a fa- family company, mm-hmm. do you say that in the sense of you know how you run it as a family, or that? Well, for the past 13 years, we've been running it out of our living room with them, you know, running circles around us and like shoving Legos in our face. So, um, and then we actually have them doing little tasks like packing the pre-orders, stuffing envelopes. They're invested, you know, and I think they have a sense of pride. Um, We've had a few articles, um, so them seeing our picture, and we framed one where Rio had written all over it, like written mom and then an arrow to my face and then Rhea's dad. mom and dad <laughs> so yeah it's they're definitely involved and as they get older we're hoping that they want to work here as well macy is already talking about working here but it has he more to, to do with money. making money yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah but then rio she you know is willing to like she comes around to some of these like fairs that we do um which there are quite a few in columbus that we do from 
time to time and you know she'll help like set up the booth and put the books out and as someone like buys a book then she'll like put you know a replacement copy out and she'll you know stick bookmarks in and stuff like that and then if like I forget to put a bookmark in the book then she'll be like you forgot to give her a bookmark <laughs> it's like yeah who cares that's great but, right yeah. but she has a task right and yeah. she feels like she's a part of it yeah. it's wonderful yeah, yeah definitely Great. Our son calls it Two Dolly Radio because he has trouble with ours. Two Dollar Radio is not only a publishing company, but you also do films. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired that to happen and can we see more films coming out in the near future? Yeah, I think a lot of it, what, I mean, what we're attracted to in general is just like storytelling and um, similar to how publishing was became sort of like affordable and... Um, and, and the technology reached a point where you're able to do it from anywhere. It's the same thing with filmmaking. Like, it's, um, you're able to do it on your laptop if you wanted to with like, you know, a handheld camera. And uh, so we, the idea always, I think, whether it's like the books that we publish or the events that we host is like enabling storytellers. And I think that was the original mindset or hope with, um, doing film was to like marry some of these different mediums and um, find storytellers we started with uh, people that you know we work with on the publishing side of things who might not have access or the means to do something to do like a, a film or a super low budget film and it's not necessarily that novel there was uh, Barney Rossett who ran Grove Press he was doing movies with like Samuel Beckett and uh, I think Harold Pinter as well, um, and uh, so that was that was the idea, just like the sort of general spirit of storytelling and just another medium to conquer. Yeah, to conquer. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Eric's background was in screenwriting, so he's his passion is equally divided between film and literature so it seemed like a natural fit and it's fun to do yeah. I mean it's a lot different it's totally different than publishing um, where you're dependent on other people and it's really collaborative whereas with publishing you know you're doing it behind closed doors and you're talking on the phone or emailing with the author and uh, and, and filmmaking you're like out there like getting your hands dirty all the time and it's fun. Yeah, it's yeah. just a different type of creative process. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What did um, Amy Koppelman's I Smile Back book do for you as a, as a book publishing company? I know that her book was, you know, had wide acclaim and then was made into mm -hmm. a movie. What, when a book is that successful and gets turned into a movie, what does that mean for your publishing company? Really, it's just like a feather in our cap, I guess. In, it makes things easier going forward in that world as well. So we've had other uh, other books optioned by really reputable people, um, but that one was one that actually got made. Uh, I think that it's it means most in terms of like dinner party conversation. So we can say like to other people like. You know, our books have been notable books of the year at the New York Times, like Best of the Year at Oprah Magazine, NPR, et cetera, et cetera. Also, one was made into a movie starring Sarah Silverman. So I think, like, that two people <laughs> sort of, like, 
means something more substantial. Well, um, it also helps because that book was published in 2008, maybe, mm-hmm. or nine, and, and the movie came out in, I think, 2015 or thereabouts. So some book, I mean, books can have a long, a long shelf life and a long tail with the internet, but it really breathes new life into a, a backlist title when there's a movie that comes out. So it, it definitely helps bump sales in a time when normally the, the sales are right when it's first published and there's a lot of publicity and attention being paid to it and then, sh- and then sales trail off as time goes on. So it's definitely helpful in that regard. Just It takes a long time to get a movie made. Um, the author, Amy Koppelman, actually made that movie herself um, with... Like she adapted, she adapted her book, yeah. like wrote the screenplay and everything, and produced it too. Uh-huh. And yeah. was the one who like hustled to get the yeah, copy she- of everything to Sarah Silverman and stuff too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it's pretty crazy what goes into having a movie made. So we've we've had a lot of like Eric said, a lot of books of our titles optioned, but then just the the magic that has to happen, all of the things coming together to actually have it be produced and filmed, mm-hmm. is. And then released. It's pretty, pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. And what um, can you explain the process of? So I was just doing a little research, and I noticed that I Smile Back can be bought at Amazon and like all these other outlets. Is that how did that work? Was that a deal that you made with those distributors, or how does that? Well, we have we have one distributor, and they sell our books to all the stores and to all the different accounts, whether it's like Amazon, Barnes and Noble two independent bookstores across the country Um, and so we have distribution in the US, Canada and the UK Uh, and while all our books are not available in the UK um, we do we have released some over there and then we also have when you acquire a book you acquire as many rights as you can and then we work with uh, sub agents in different territories like in Europe and South America and they try to sell the rights to those books in the other countries so like when I Smile Back you know it was originally published in 2008 like on the heels like a couple months after like the recession really hit um, and it was a frightening time and the book at the time did like did remarkably well considering like the shit show that was happening around it and uh and so then when the movie was made you know years later um to do like a movie tie-in edition was cool and then also we were able to sell rights abroad to the book that we hadn't previously been able to do so distribution is pretty maybe the most important yeah because they're able to negotiate better deals on behalf of the hundreds of publishers that they represent than we could individually with someone like amazon who you know is uh yeah so we we sell our books on our own at events around the country um and on our website and everything else goes through our distribution so neither of you have other day jobs at this point, is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. How does that feel? feels great. <laughs> feels good, yeah. It's yeah, still kind of new for me, so I still feel like unsure if it's real, but, um, but it feels really good to have, we've busted our butts for over a decade and kept our nose down and worked towards it and got results, so... It feels really good. I also think it's pretty badass, too, that it has to do with, like, books and publishing in general. Because when we were first got, you know, major distribution, it was in 2008, and everyone was talking about, like, the death of print, and e-books are going to take over. 
you know, people telling us like, oh, you don't have enough money to start a publishing company, blah, blah, blah. But like, we didn't necessarily pay attention to that. The key to success is to not listen to people who tell you you can't do it. Yeah, even after like we built a successful publishing company, people like with the story here, like people are like, don't do that. Well, I think it's the people people that love you the most try to discourage you the most because they want you to be safe and secure and it's risky to start a new venture or to invest all of your time into a publishing company that may or may not succeed so yeah we are pretty good at ignoring other people and <laughs> doing what we want to do well it's been it's been fruitful it's worked out so it's worked far. out so we'll, so i'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast are just in general artists in general sort of are maybe in that limbo of having that day job and doing sort of the side hustle. Do you have any advice of, of I mean, because you both did that for a, a long time, do you have any advice of sort of how to juggle that or what to, anything to say about that? Well, it's definitely a, a time sacrifice, a life sacrifice. I mean, while our neighbors were throwing parties and like our whole neighborhood was hanging out at a party next door, we'd be at home working. So, you know, it's a, it's a sacrifice, but if you believe in something, you're either doing it or not doing it and you can't half-ass something that's your own creation that you're trying to build um so and if you're going to do it you got to do it all the way and keep doing it for years and years and years and try to be savvy about getting yourself ahead um paying attention to things like branding which sounds lame but it matters um with the amount of products that are constantly being shoved in your face everywhere it matters how you're presenting yourself, so just, uh, yeah, just go in 100% and not stopping. Yeah. yeah. Don't listen to those haters. <laughs> Ignore the haters. <laughs> not even the haters, just the people who can't see the vision that you see, you know. If, if you can see it, then you should go for it. And if you're that dedicated, then you're willing to, like, be persistent for the... I mean, it was, what, like, 10 years before we were able to start paying ourselves? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, I mean, that's... It's a yeah. Time. Yeah. But now you're here. Now we're and here. And it's amazing. <laughs> $2 Radio headquarters. Well, I feel like part of this, this physical space now, the $2 Radio headquarters, is, um, is really nice because we're able to visually present ourselves. Um... In like show, like our vision, like it, it's a physical space that people can see and be immersed in. Like mm-hmm. I'm having an experience right now being here with you two in this beautiful space that you've, I'm sure, blood, sweat, and tears yes. for sure have put into this. And that I feel like that means a lot, and it means a lot to people who believe in what you're doing that they can physically walk into it. Yeah, it definitely it definitely feels good instead of just being in our living room and convincing people over the internet you know, <laughs> this is what we're doing I promise mm-hmm. we're, we're doing this mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> I think too you know like also for friends and family you know like we might have been able to show them like a New York Times review or something like that and they'd be like oh cool you know and like set it down but then it, when my parents come in and they see other people here like looking at books or eating or drinking like coming to events I think that it it's more substantial and tangible for them to see. Yeah, they that. can see it. They can see it. Yeah. 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 The other thing is that when we have due dates, like we need to get a book to the printer, we're together all the time. So like, no, we're not going to watch a movie tonight because this has to get to the printer. So there's there's no splitting our time with other people. You know, it's, right. which on the downside, we don't have a whole lot of external social you know life. We don't have a lot of 
people that we're able to spend time with because of our requirements of time with each other. So that's just part of part of it. But, right. And yeah. I, but I feel like the upside of this beautiful headquarters is that you are now yes. creating we community. We just have people come to Right, us. exactly. <laughs> like you're, you're now the person hosting right. the parties in the neighborhood because right. here it is, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. And you can, feel, you can feel that. You can feel that here in the space that that's intentional, mm-hmm. you know, to build community and to build. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. The Life Soundtrack Podcast is co-produced by Liz Paul and sound engineer Adam Rich. It is a collaboration between Life Soundtrack and WOUB Public Media. You can find out more on www.lifes-soundtrack.com. Subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts.